We're in lesson 14 of the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 5 and verse 12. But before we get started today, I want to define sin once again for everyone. The reason being is that this lesson is going to be on television program one day. And I don't think that most Christians have an accurate idea of what sin is, what the definition of sin is. Chapter 5 speaks of sin. And if you don't understand sin, you will not understand chapter 5. For that matter, you won't understand much of the book of Romans at all. John makes sure that we understand just what sin is. He states it quite plainly in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who believes in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen or known him. And so John tells us that sin is transgression of the Torah, what we call, and what's translated in our Bibles, the law. So the point is this. If the Torah says, as it does in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. If you don't remember the Sabbath day and you don't keep it holy and you don't cease from your labor, then you've sinned and that's just simple. That's it. Sin is not something nebulous. It's not something that's in a state of flux and ever-changing. It is what it is, what it was, and what it'll ever be. And sin is really simple. It's transgression of God's law. So with that in mind, let's see what Paul has to say about sin. And let's back up a little bit to verse 6 so we have some continuity here. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Messiah died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so I underline those two phrases there. First, it says, while we were yet sinners, because we're Discussing sin here. Hence my definition at the start. We could just as easily say, while we were still Torah violators, or while we were still violators of God's law. And I underlined that we were enemies, God's enemies, because that's what sin does to you. Sin separates you and makes you an enemy of God. And while we were still His enemies... Messiah came and did what he did for us. So Paul is saying that God sent his son to deliver and reconcile us to him. And he did it while we were still God's enemies. It's no doubt. That's why Yeshua says this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. 
You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. Remember, we said when looking at at who Abraham's sons were, who the children of Abraham were, we decided that those with the faith of Abraham are sons of Abraham because they're chips off the old block. They do what their father Abraham did. Well, the father loved his enemies and gave his son to save them. So Yeshua tells us, be like him and love your enemies as well. Okay, so now we come to where we left off last week, verse 12, and it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. And so Paul takes a stand here on something that's quite controversial, the original sin. Many don't believe in the concept of the original sin. The rabbis don't teach it. They don't teach we're under the sin of Adam. Strangely enough, they teach that the sins of the fathers are not past, but the good deeds of the fathers are past. How does that work out? We can find that in Talmud, Yoma 87a. It says, the righteous are blessed. Not only is there merit for them, but they give merit to their children and their children's children to the end of all generations. And we see it in the church as well. You know, that's why children are sprinkled to escape that. But Paul tells us that sin entered the world and subsequently death entered the world because of the sin of Eve, right? Wrong. Not so much. It was the sin of Adam, he says. A careful reading of the text tells you that though Eve ate first, Adam was there and aware. It also tells us that Adam was the one God confronted first for that sin. And rightly so, because he was responsible for his wife. So here's the deal. At the time of that sin, Adam had no children. All of his children, all of his offspring were still in his loins. Adam deserved death because of his sin, and therefore everything in his loin, all of his children, were as good as dead as well. In God's If God's judgment had come in the 24-hour period that Adam sinned, then Adam would have had no children. They all would have perished with him. And so because of Adam's sin, death reigns in Adam's offspring. The fact that everyone dies is proof of that. So death entered the world because of Adam's sin, even though the Torah or the law, which is the measure of sin, had not been given yet. Adam's children were born only because of the grace of God. Had God punished Adam in the 24-hour period after he sinned, none would have been born. But with the Lord, we're told, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day. And so Adam died in 930 years and had many children, all of whom this death was passed to. 
God transfers the punishment of the sin of the Father. So we're born with sin, appointed to die. The transfer of death happened before the Torah was given. There was only one command in the garden, and that command was not followed. And the violation of that one command brought death to the world. Just one command. Now the point being made here is that though there were no other commands to break, death still reigned and people still died. Though they themselves did not eat of the tree because death and sin were passed through Adam. And so what Paul is proving here is that something that we should all understand and that is we were born to die. We were born sinners. And notice that all sin before the Torah was given. Well, if sin is defined by a violation of the Torah, violation of God's law, how can sin and death reign? How can you be guilty of sin if the law has not been given? You know, we have an epidemic in this country right now. We have an epidemic of designer drugs, they're called, on the street. They're sold in stores. They're making new versions of the drugs faster than the law can ban them. And so they're legal because there's no law against them. Well, the same is true here. How can death reign if there's no Torah to transgress? And he answered the question for us. It's consequences of that of sin entered into the world through the trespass of one man. Adam's offspring died because of the sin of Adam, because we were in his loins and we die as well. Paul just proved that we are under the curse of Adam. The law given in the garden was you shall not eat and he ate. Verse 15 says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died because of the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of one man, Yeshua the Messiah, overflow to many? Okay, so many died because of the trespass of Adam. Many were born and lived lives because of the grace of God. But all men were in the loins of Adam, and so all died. I think we can liken it to this. I tried to think of what we could liken it to. We can liken it to a dreadful disease that would shorten a man's life, say, to 40 years. The disease is hereditary. So all of his offspring will die at the young age of around 40, Because that gene is passed on from generation to generation. And that's what you can liken it. Sin and the sin nature were passed on to each generation. And what is our sin nature? Well, it's our natural tendency to go our own way. Our tendency to forget our creator and thereby disobey and fall short of God's expectations in his creation. You see, when Adam sinned and was doomed to die, we were in his loins and we were dead as well. And as I said earlier, if he had died in that 24-hour period, none of us would have been born. We would have been dead with Adam. So who is it that can bring life from the dead? Oh, we said it this morning in our liturgical prayers. Only God. He brings life from the dead. And that's the point that Paul told us earlier when he said of how God brought life from a dead womb. Sarah's dead womb. You know, when you think about it, 
all of us being under sin and doomed to die, it was no different in the first century. Think about it. Mary was dead in her transgressions. And so God again brought life from a dead womb. However, even though she was under the curse of death, the life she brought forth was not under that curse of Adam because Adam was not his father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that's why he could accomplish what he did. And as I always say, if Yeshua was not the literal son of God, we have a serious problem. Because he was dead in his transgressions when he was born. If he wasn't. So in Adam I'll die. Paul is proving we were all in effect dead. Even if we never transgressed the Torah. And Paul says that through the sin of Adam. One man. All men were condemned to die. Because of Adam. We all inherit the sin nature. And the text of the Torah is clear. No one escaped. No one escaped. All are accountable because of one man, one trespass. You know, if you read the lineage of Adam, with the exception of Enoch, which we're not going to talk about today, all die. And yet, read the text. None of them have any sin. Listen to Seth. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years and then he died. No recorded sin in his life of Seth and yet he died. Sin and death entered into Seth through the trespass of Adam as it does all men. And Paul says the gift of God is different because of the righteousness of one man. Many sinners and much greater trespass are forgiven. No longer was it just the sin of one man, but realize that when Messiah came, it was many sins in the sins of all men. Because the Torah had been given with its many commands, the violations were now countless more. And so the trespass was much greater. Many were cleansed. And many more of, of many more trespasses by one man living a life in obedience to God and seeking after the good of his neighbors. Well, if you believe Paul, and I do, with that reasoning, then it has to follow there is only one man, one way to receive right standing with God and be free of death. The grace of God is extended through Messiah who because of his lineage is the heavenly father. He's not reckoned as being the son of Adam. He is the only one who could have done what he did. He told us that. He told us that's why he tells us this in John chapter 14 verse 6. Yeshua answered, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Because of one man, Adam, all received the sin nature and all died. So too, because of one man, Yeshua, God's grace came to many. And many will be resurrected to new lives. And were resurrected to new lives. Not according to the sin nature but through the leading of the Spirit. There's no other way to receive the gift except Yeshua. That's what he's telling us. 
There's no other way you can approach God. No amount of Torah observance, no amount of anything can get you there except Yeshua. You see, while being a chip off the old block of Abraham is not a bad thing in relationship to faith, and we all need to have the faith of Abraham, but we also need to move on from there and become chips off the block of our Heavenly Father. Just as Yeshua was. Messiah, as the text says, is a chip off the old block of the Heavenly Father. He follows the footsteps of his father. If you see him, you've seen the father. He's a chip off the old block. Right? Verse 16 says, Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. And so this is just another example of what he said previously and what we've talked about previously. The gift is actually opposite the trespass. It actually stands in contrast to sin. One man's trespass, one single trespass, caused death, or we can say the condemnation of all men because they were in his loins. But the gift through one man, Yeshua, though now because of the Torah the sins are many, it also brings many to right standing with God. It brings life. Life, that is, if you are reborn. This time, not of the seed of Adam, but through God's seed, Yeshua the Messiah. Which is what he gets at in verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Yeshua the Messiah? Well, I guess that really puts an end to any controversy about there being more more than one way to salvation, right? Death comes through one man and God's gift of right standing through one man. Just as surely as you die through one man, Adam, you can find resurrected life. You can be reborn, this time not of Adam, but of God through one man, Yeshua the Messiah. There's one way, period. But so that there's no mistake, Paul repeats himself in verse 18. Consequently, Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the act of righteousness and justification that brings life for all men. For just as through disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many will be made righteous. Adam, think of it. Adam's one trespass left all of his offspring condemned. Every single one. And while many were doomed to die, one man's act of righteousness reconciled all men. Obviously, Paul means all who accept the gift. One man made all men sinners through one act of disobedience in a contrasting way. All men were sinners. Yeshua made all men righteous through one through his living a lifetime of obedience to God, and because of that, he's able to justify many. Over and over, Paul uses this phrase, this term, one man, one man. You come into the world deserving death because of one man alone. That alone condemns you to death and nothing else, if nothing else happens. In the same way, there's one way to life, 
And that's through one man, Yeshua the Messiah. No other way. Verse 20 is a little uh, difficult verse. It says, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. I, I really think this is a hard verse because it would seem that God laid a trap for everyone. Doesn't it? And the trap is called Torah, the law. It would seem that perhaps the law, the Torah, was an afterthought of God and, and it was not a good thing because it actually served to lay a trap for all the men of the world. The problem with that type of thinking is that God didn't need to lay a trap for men because just as Paul proved, all men were already trapped. They were already doomed to die because of the sin of one man. So that cannot be what's said here. What's actually being said here is that the Torah was be given was given so that we would be conscious of sin. He said, without the law, there was no sin. While without the law, we would never be aware of our shortcomings. Look at the nature of man. You know, if I went up to someone and I said, you know, you're dead because of the sin of Adam. He would say to me, I had nothing to do with that. How can I be condemned for the sin of Adam? I wasn't even there. So God made sure we knew that we needed redemption because in his Torah, he tells us of his original expectation of his creation. In the Torah, he gave us an outline of his expectation of his, of his creation. Remember, we looked at the analogy of the watch. The creator of the watch has an expectation that that watch will keep time. If it doesn't, he'll discard it, he'll destroy it, he'll throw it away or he'll take it apart and use the parts to make something else. Because it's his creation to do with as he pleases and it's not doing what he intended. In the same way, God who created us had a reasonable expectation of his creation and the Torah outlines what that reasonable expectation was. He told us because he wanted us to know that not only are we dead in our transgressions through Adam, but we have all fallen short of his expectations as well. And so with the additional expectations made known, the trespass increased, which was not good news. It was bad news. However, the Torah also spoke of the remedy as well, which is really good news, right? It spoke of the Messiah, Yeshua, prophesied his coming. And so God gave his Torah to make us aware that we needed Messiah, Yeshua. If God had never given us the commands, the laws, we would have not have been convicted of our sin. The Torah makes us aware of sin. God, desiring that we be restored to him, gives the Torah to make us aware. We would have written off the fact that we were descended from Adam and died because of his sin, because we weren't there. How can we be guilty? With the awareness of the law comes further trespass. With the Torah comes intentional trespass. And so we have an increase in trespass. And so we have to have an increase in God's loving kindness and his grace as well. The reasoning here is that with the awareness of sin and the awareness that we are sinners, it should lead us to repentance. Where we could not see our blame in Adam, we can now recognize our sin through the Torah. 
We can see our shortcoming now. Anybody who can't see their shortcoming? I didn't think so. Verse 21 says, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord. Now that through the Torah we were aware of our transgressions, we're also deeper in debt, so to speak. Sin increased so that God's forgiveness had to increase as well. Therefore, the grace extended had to us had to increase. Now we get to chapter 6 and it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Well, you know, the answer to that's a foregone conclusion. A resounding no. You know, but that is not the case that I hear in the church today with many Christians. How many have heard someone say, well, I'm not perfect, I'm just saved by grace. Or something similar. And they say it because of their obvious transgressions. But this cavalier attitude towards sin has those who profess Yeshua or Jesus looking not much different than the rest of the world. Totally opposite of the plan of God. What Yeshua did for you should leave you with a desire to live differently. Look at the idea behind the sin offering in Judaism. It was uh, that one, when one brought an animal to the temple and laid hands on the animal and confessed his sin and then had to put the knife to his throat and put him to death, he would become aware, have a new awareness of the consequence of sin. This spotless, unblemished animal who had done nothing but be born into the world died. An animal that was spotless without blemish had to die because that person had transgressed God's Torah, his law. And then with that understanding and having seen and experienced that, it should make him go away and sin no more because he realized the consequences of his sin. How much more? Should we, with just a cursory reading of the suffering of Yeshua, beware of the consequences of sin? How much more should we go away from that realization with the attitude of go and sin no more? The idea, the very idea that our sins are covered. So let's not worry because our sins is giving God greater glory and saying, I'm not perfect. I'm just a sinner saved by Yeshua is not what the good news is about. And so that we're all sure of that, he says this in verse 2, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we do that? How can we live in sin any longer? Doesn't sin disgust you? I mean, after you come to grips with the reality of the consequences of your sin, doesn't it disgust you? Looking at Yeshua hanging on a stake, beaten beyond recognition of a man, are you not sickened? Well, that's the consequence. So how can you live in it any longer? Sin brings death. How can you live in death? They're contradictory. 
We're supposed to be joined to Messiah in his death and raised to life. A new life. That's why Paul says this in verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Messiah Yeshua or were baptized into his death? And here Paul gets to the real good news. We were dead in our transgressions because of Adam, if nothing else. Of course, let's be honest, we through the Torah had a few violations of our own. And so we were to die. What does scripture say? A man is appointed once to die. We do that through Messiah Yeshua. And through our acceptance of him, we die in our immersion. We die to the sin nature. We've been put to death. We've been reborn to live a new life, to keep the commands of God. We will not go on transgressing the law of God. We can now live for God. You've died to the sin nature you inherited from your father, Adam. Listen, there must be a change. There must be a move on the part of the person who professes Yeshua to stop transgressing Torah. And not only that, stop making excuses like Adam did. Oh, the wife, the woman you put here with me, she made me eat. It's why scripture says things as by their fruit you're going to know them. Listen to what John says again. Let's repeat it. 1 John 3. How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Do you get that? We're now, after being reborn, children of God. In other words, we should be like Yeshua. We should be chips off the old block of the Father. He goes on to say, Dear friends, now we're children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away your sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning and no one who continues to sin has either seen or known him. Paul says, puts it a different, a little different. He says, shall we go on sinning? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 9, listen to what John says in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. When we were immersed, we died to sin and we were made alive by the seed of God indwelling our hearts. Messiah Yeshua is God's seed. He's taken up residence in us. We are now in Messiah like we talked about the other week. You know, you can see this in immersion baths. In Israel, immersion baths had to be cut from stone, they were in the ground. And so they were seen as a burial. Not only that, the participant went down into the water, a place where you can't survive if someone doesn't pull you back out. A place of death. 
And when a new convert to Judaism became part of the covenant community of Israel, he had to keep Torah as a Jew. He had to be immersed. He had to go into the ground to this place where he could not survive. He was seen as having died to his former life. And when he came out on the other side of the immersion bath, it was said that he was born again. This time as part of the covenant community of Israel. And after that, he had to live as a Jew, subject to the law as the Jewish people followed it. And that's the same thought Paul is trying to convey here. In the same way, when we were immersed, we died to our former self, we were reborn, born again, to do good and not evil. The old life we lived of violating God's law has died. It was left in the grave. And the new life we live must include adherence to God's principles. The new life we live should not only include living by the Torah, but living by the Torah as Messiah lived by the Torah. Our lives should actually rise well above the minimum standards set forth in the Torah. We no longer make excuses for our lives, but we, like Yeshua, live lives that rise above the law of God. Heaven forbid! that we continue on in sin when we actually should live lives that rise above. When the Torah says, thou shalt not commit adultery in our lives, not even that thought exists. So much so that we don't look at another person in that way. When the Torah says, thou shalt not murder, we don't even get angry. We don't hold on to our anger toward another. And so we've been raised to live lives above the Torah as disciples of Yeshua. Matthew chapter 24. This is the good, this is, this is, this is evangelism right here. You want evangelism? This is it. Matthew 24 verse 18. And Yeshua came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, we've spoken many times of what discipleship would have meant to Yeshua when he spoke those words. Disciples were responsible for doing everything as the teacher, learning every teaching of the teacher word for word and doing every blessing the same way, walking through life in the same way as the teacher did. Well, that is what Yeshua is saying. And that can in no way include a life of continual sin. Indeed, it means not only a life free of sin, but a life in which we rise above the minimum standard of Torah to a high standard set forth by Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua did not come to free us from Torah in the sense that we've taken it. He has set us free from the condemnation of the Torah by showing us how to live a life above the requirements of the Torah. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Messiah. Just as Paul says, In chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua because through Yeshua, the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. If you're truly in Messiah, you will not sin because the Spirit of truth rises above the literal commands of Torah. That means thou shalt not kill becomes thou shalt not even Keep your anger with your brother. Do not be angry with your brother. And thou shalt not commit adultery becomes thou shalt not 
even think about another woman or another man in that way. I wanted to close this quickly with this. I want to say what's wrong, what I see, what I see is wrong with the church today. And that's why I began today with 1 John 3, 4 through 6. Because much of the church doesn't know what sin is. Instead of God and his word defining sin for us as it did for John and the disciples, we've taken cultural norms as our definition of sin. If you look at the church a hundred years ago, it was a whole other organization. Biblical commands that were not violated within the church of that era are now accepted as A-OK, normal behavior. Things that were rightly condemned by the church are now accepted within its walls. And those who stand on the principles laid out by God are called by the rest of the church extremists. In this country, which once lived by God's law, you have freedom of speech as long as you don't quote the Bible. And the reason is that we have redefined sin. We've looked at things like our technological advancements, our educational advancements. And because we've advanced in those areas, we also think we have a greater moral uh, understanding of moral values. We think that when it comes to sin, we have more understanding than the ancients did right up to 100 years ago. Sadly, we think we have a better understanding than God himself. We question the word of God and the laws of God and then we disregard them because, hey, we're enlightened. If you look at the church, if you look at the church, what is allowed and what is not allowed, it doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from what the culture is now allowing We take whatever sin and deprivation Hollywood puts on our television screen as our new moral values. It's our new moral compass. If you want to know why we see more murder, more drug addiction, more sexual deviation in the world today, it's because our moral compass has changed from the word of God to movies, television, radio, and the internet. If we see it there... We start to doubt the word of God. Hey, this actor, how could this actor, this actor, how could it be bad? He does it. He's so wonderful. Did you see him in? So instead of dying to sin, we redefine sin. So that we don't have to die with Messiah. We've taken the moral character of God and changed it into something immoral. And let me tell you something. There's a price that's going to be paid for that. In fact, we're already paying the price. 